What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Welcome back to another edition of All the Smoke. My guy. My brother. We're back. We're back here again. We got a very special guest, someone very close to myself Real and Jack, special. a mentor, someone we look up to, someone we are a fan of, Rachel Nichols. I mean, How I'm you five near? foot four. No one's looking up to me. Uh, it's very we, sad. We, we still yeah. find a way to. <laughs> yes. We put you on a pedestal. Absolutely. All right, we're going to do serious business here, but before we start, it is, we're taping this on Stephen Jackson's birthday. Right. So, special. Sad. Uh-oh. Here you go, Rachel. Got you, got you something. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And, and the way it's shaped, I know it's a little something, something I I'm like. I'm just saying. <laughs> Thank you so much, I'm sweetheart. just saying. Well, I only give alcohol for gifts. Thank there you. are people in my life who are sober, and then I give them to find, like, a pet rock or something, because <laughs> yes. this is all I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Dope. Thank you. How's Coming it? with gifts. <laughs> how, how's it feel being old? Uh, it feels great you to be old. You look good, though, bro. Yeah, thank you, you bro. Old, you make old look good. And especially what... We've all been through as a country, as friends and family this last year. It feels good to be here and happy. So I'm thankful. We're celebrating you today. So, Rachel, with Jack saying that, what is one thing you took from 2020? It's funny. We talk all the time like, oh, Mm -hmm. we should be grateful. We're all so fortunate, all that stuff. I don't think that landed with me enough before Mm. 2020. Mm. And I can say that I would have argued with you before. I get it. I I don't think it landed with me quite enough to just appreciate all the shit that goes right every day because there's so much that goes wrong and it's so easy to get caught up in that and this isn't fair and this isn't happening to me and there's important stuff that we have to channel that into but that's kind of the point that's the important shit like the big injustices the big things and the little day-to-day things I have done a much better job after this year of just not sweating that as much and being able to if there are little things that come into my like mind and life have them be the 
good stuff. Right. You know? Absolutely. Here we go, Rach. Tell us about <laughs> your, let's start. Tell us about your upbringing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. These I, are conversations that me and you've never had. I know it. So I tell know. us well, about I'm your upbringing. you all these kinds of questions. <laughs> You're on know. a hot seat today. I don't know about here. Well, I think this is one of the things I love about this show, not to even cut you off, yeah. but it's just like, Rachel, we know each other. We conversate, we text, we work together. Yeah. But like, when we do stuff like this, you get to learn your friends more. Yeah. Yes. And totally. I think that shit is dope. So yes. carry on. Well, you guys know I grew up outside Washington, D.C., yes. which gave me a very tortured sports existence because I grew up being a Bullets fan, and let me explain to you the how bullets. long it has been, right? I, I would say now. So they played in an arena in Landover, Maryland. They had a different name than the team has now. Mm -hmm. They play in a different state than oh, they have now. State. Owned by a different person. Yep. So when people say to me, like, oh, what NBA team are you attached to? I'm kind of attached to a team that doesn't exist anymore, even though <laughs> right. I know the franchise right. still exists. Right. And it's very sad because that franchise has not been in a even conference finals in 40 years. So it has been a long desert. And people uh, who are fans of teams that don't do so well are sometimes like, man, you're always ragging on our teams. I'm like, it is the pain I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know this pain. pain. I have experienced this pain. The football team, though, was really great when I was a kid, right? They won three championships, I think, in like 15 years when I was growing up. So it really gave me that love of sports that was kind of balanced out by the fact that I was a sad, frustrated little girl Bullets fan that wore mm -hmm. these Bullets t-shirts that people would laugh at me for. But the important thing is it was enough for me to know like this is what I want to do yeah. and I just always felt like I don't want to be in an office and there were so many paths in sports for women that are available now that frankly just right. weren't when right. I was younger mm -hmm. yeah. so this was kind of the way to have a job in sports for me and it tapped into some things that I'm kind of okay at and, and I was able to sort of just pursue that and say okay this is what I want to do but that's where it all came from is growing up in DC and just the mix there is pretty awesome. High school basketball there yeah, is killer, yeah, right? Yeah, so, Talk to us about your journey because it wasn't easy. You got pushback. Some people didn't consider sports journalism serious. So talk to us about that and, and the pushback and what you had to overcome to not only be a woman, but taking your what you want to do serious as well. Well, when I went to college, I had great journalism professors at Northwestern. Again, not the best sports teams. I, I apparently can only go to places where there's a lot of <laughs> struggle. Um, <laughs> but um, the journalism program is great. And to their credit, because they were trying to help me, they were really trying to steer me into covering news. They were like, you're, you're so smart. You're such a nice girl. You don't want to work in sports. This, <laughs> this won't, you know, it's the toy department. That's what people used to call it in newspapers and TV, really? toy department. That was the, the thing. And I was just sort of like, no, this is actually what, what I, I want to do. do. And part of the deal at Northwestern is you have an internship program that the school is attached to and you, you have to do it. It's for credit. And I wanted to do it in sports. And I had to like, go present to the board of the, the college and everything about why of the, the, the program, about why I wanted to do it. And they'd never done it before, but they finally let me do it. And that led to my first job. And my first job was covering the University of Miami football team back in the 90s when it was the Wild. U. Yes. And I graduated from college a little early. I was 21. Uh, Ray Lewis was a fifth year senior for that team. And that team was out of control. That was the NFL <laughs> team. In both, both good ways and uh -huh. tough ways. Yeah. Uh, Ray Lewis's roommate was murdered and Ray came home and found him. I mean, wow. there was wow. a bunch of shit went down that year. Uh -huh. And it was the education of a lifetime of preparing me for the rest of my life in this career. But it was awesome. And if I hadn't kind of convinced them to let me do it in the first place, I never would have gotten that job because that was the place I interned with. Mm -hmm. right. Talk about your first time on television. Oh man, I was terrible. I'm still not very good. That's the problem is that I'm the things I'm good at is not what I'm 
you know, like when I grew up, I don't know about you guys, like the women on TV, they were tall and blonde largely and kind of very polished and that whole vibe. And that's just not my vibe. You guys are on TV with me. I'm, if we make a mistake on the air, what do I, it's the first thing I do. I talk about it on the air. I drive the producers crazy. They're like, you don't have to say every time we mess up. But to me, I'd like rather be this like rolling mess in front of everyone. Real. Than try to like i'm just you know and when i started out on tv i just tried to be that glossy thing it wasn't i'm just not that person so it took me a while to figure out and Stuart scott was actually great with me Mm. when i was kind of trying to feel my way because i think for the beginning for him a lot of people wanted him to be something he wasn't Mm -hmm. and he just kept saying to me he's like you could be great at being you you were only going to be like 60 or 70 percent of being someone else and mm -hmm. it sounds obvious but it's hard when everybody looks and acts like a certain this other way, thing. like a cookie you know? cutter. You've mentioned before Craig Sager was someone you just mentioned, yeah. Stuart Scott, rest in peace. Who were some of the people you looked up to in this space? Because in, 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 in sports, there wasn't very many women. For me, so I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, the Washington Post, great newspaper. I think I read that book, All the President's Men, like 40, 50 times. It was very embarrassing that I could like recite it. <laughs> I wanted to work for the Washington Post. And part of that, too, was because Tony Kornheiser, Mike Wilbon, for the Washington yeah. Post, a woman named Christine Brennan, who now is with USA Today and does a lot of television on CNN and some other places, worked for the Washington Post. And she was the first female, like, full-time beat writer of an NFL team. Mm. She covered the Washington football team, and she was the first woman to do it full-time. But I was a kid reading that, and I didn't know she was the first person to do it full-time. I just knew I opened the newspaper, and I read about the team I liked, and there was Mm -hmm. a woman who wrote about it. Mm -hmm. So I just assumed I could do that because I saw it. Right. And it wasn't until much later that people kept saying to me, like, come on, you can't really do that. And it was too late because I had already seen her do it. Mm -hmm. And that made such an impression on me once later I found out kind of how that dynamic plays when you're a kid. You don't understand Mm -hmm. it. But it's why I think now, you know, we use representation as we almost overuse it sometimes as loss its meaning. Mm -hmm. But if you can't fucking see anybody doing what you're doing, it is very hard to get there. And if you can see people doing it, it just changes the whole equation. So she did that for me. Beautiful. You ever had second doubts? What, this, the last five minutes? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) On choosing your career, you think so? I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, there's times where I sit there and whether it's like the practical stuff, if it's two in the morning and you're exhausted and you've done X or Y and it didn't go the way you wanted to Mm -hmm. and you're like, why, why am I giving up all the stuff in my life? I mean, I've missed weddings, I've missed family stuff, I've missed whatever. There's times where I screw up and you're just sitting there like, okay, really? Like that came out of my mouth? Why? Um, but I know it's the thing I love. Like, I know I love it. I still love it all the time. And, and that's what keeps me feeling like I'm doing the right thing. You know, that's right. Join ESPN in 04, kind of worked your way around different sports, landed with NBA coverage towards the end and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of hit the ground running in that space. Talk to us about that journey and kind of finding your path on a, you know, the stage that ESPN presents. Yeah. So I started out basically covering what people let me cover. Right. So one of my early, I mentioned college football. One of my early jobs was covering hockey. I mm. liked hockey, but it wasn't like my dream to go into covering hockey, yeah. but mm-hmm. that's what was available. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, I told you guys I wanted to work for the Washington Post. There's a job that opened up in the Washington Post covering the hockey beat. And I had been in this this experience where the newspaper I was working at, because I was still working in newspapers in Florida, the Florida Panthers go to the NHL, the Stanley Cup Finals, in just their third year of existence. And they didn't have a ton of infrastructure in the media there to cover hockey because it was a brand new team, right? And all of a sudden there was all this interest and all this stuff. And I grew up in the Northeast. And so I knew a lot about hockey. 
So my old sports editor, who's a great guy, was just like, yeah, I'm throwing you on with the other hockey people. And I had a, a person in the media, not who worked with me, but who worked in, in the media down there, who turned to me, like, I don't know, early in a Stanley Cup Finals game and says, Rachel, why does the coach pull all the starters? Why is he pulling all the starters three minutes in? And I had to explain that they have line changes in hockey mm -hmm. and that guy, new guys come over the boards every couple minutes. That's how hockey works. But there was just such a sort of, okay, that's not there. So... At the end of that summer, the hockey beat opened up at the Washington Post. I had done a little bit stuff that was by accident. It wasn't mm -hmm. even what I was supposed to do. It's because the team the, the year before went far, and I got the job. So I did that. And then I covered baseball when they wanted me to cover baseball. And I covered golf when they wanted me to cover golf. And I covered tennis or I covered whatever. What I really loved was football and basketball. And so the more I could try to get in that space, mm -hmm. I wanted to. I like sports where people hit each other. So I thought that was good about <laughs> covering football. And with basketball, for me, just that there's not a bunch of crap in between you and the game, right? So I'm watching you guys. You are right in front of me. You are four feet in front of me. You are doing your thing without equipment all over your face. I can see you. I can see sort of the, like everything about that drive to the hoop. You experience it in a different way than you do some of these sports mm -hmm. where there's more separation. And the more time I covered the NBA, that drew me in both from an athletic point of view of where like I could fucking see Michael Jordan mm -hmm. do what he was doing. But also just personality wise is like you can get to know you guys as real yeah. people better. And that was one thing that I don't know, maybe this is a different perspective coming in as a woman, right? Is that I felt like I could connect with all of you guys in a way that could make you full people and that I could then turn around and present you as a right. full person. And right. I don't know, you guys tell me, I cover both of you different right. times. Like, right. If I did that for you, but, yeah. but, and if I, I was able to, to do it accurately, but that was my hope. I mean, I remember. You gave me clarity. You, you helped me get clarity on a lot of, on everything. Every time we spoke, I was able to get clarity. And, and then I think it was, it was times where I, I wasn't even the person you were supposed to talk to, but at times. Mm -hmm. Things were misunderstood about me, and you still give me opportunity to clear it up. So that's one reason why we always had a good relationship. So once you get into this ESPN space, you worked on what they gave you, but mm -hmm. how did you end up in basketball? I really love the game, so I was always pitching a lot of ideas and a lot of things. And ESPN's changed a lot over the years, mm -hmm. right? We've had the basketball contract for a while, but there have been periods where we did a lot on opening day and then didn't do a lot till Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. And then did a lot of Christmas and then didn't do as much toward the playoffs. It wasn't yeah. as 365, right? right? And I would kind of be filling in those spaces as being like, well, how about we do this? Well, how about mm -hmm. we do that? Again, I think one of the things I tell people who want to get started in my job, and I'm sure you guys are the same way, like a lot of it is to just fucking work harder than everybody yep, else. I like work. you have to be the last person in the room. And if you do that, it's not a guarantee that you're gonna do great, mm -hmm. but you're probably not gonna do great without it. Right. So I was constantly willing to be like, oh, I'll take that trip. I'll go, I'll stay an extra day, it's fine. I'll do, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that kind of helped me in the space. And it helped me not only, you know, sort of move around or move up at ESPN, but it helped me, I think, again, with you guys, with the with the league, people need to see it, mm -hmm. right? And I think after a while, especially someone like me who doesn't look like someone who would naturally be covering the NBA for like 12 reasons, right? right? Well, you show up every day. And that is something I think this league does better. The guys in this league do better than anyone else. They legit re reward work. Mm -hmm. And that if you bring, come to the table and you're a worker and you show that like you, you actually are invested, that matters. And that's frankly not true in every sport. And it's mm. not true with every business or every group of people, but it matters in the NBA. So that helped me too. Mm -hmm. Who did you enjoy working with had a, besides me? Mm -hmm. um, who did you enjoy working with and have a bond with besides me again? 
<laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, you know, we started the show and I had been pitching, doing a daily NBA show. And again, ESPN just wasn't the 365 basketball coverage yep. until maybe the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. But um, we had a great show, NBA Tonight, that was mostly in season, mostly driven around highlights at like, you know, one in the morning. Mm-hmm. And for me, there was room to add in a daily afternoon kind of, it's a year-round sport, man. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's year-round kind of conversations and themes and stories and ideas. And I kept pitching this idea and uh, my elevator pitch for the show when I was still was sort of at Turner and trying to figure out, do I re-up with Turner? Do I come back to ESPN? Was, hey, what if we had a basketball show that was the afternoon just sitting around with your friends talking about hoop, but one of your friends was Tracy McGrady. <laughs> and that's like how I kept pitching them. Because for me, I didn't want it to feel like a television show. Yeah. Because... It's kind of what I said at the beginning about me on TV. I don't think I can like really run like a television show yeah. in a very like formal kind of PowerPoint presentation way. I'm not that girl. Right. So for me, I was like, what if we just sat around talking like mm. we talk? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the start of it. So T-Mac for me was the, the one where he had retired kind of in the space that we were trying to do this. And I felt like next to Kobe, he was the guy yes. for so many of today's players. Ooh, yes. And I wasn't sure that some of the people outside basketball Knew understood that. that right? the way I did. And I just kept saying like, no, no, he's the guy. And some of the people who were who were doing, I mean, they're awesome. They said yes. They gave they gave us the show. They they said yes to T Max. So there wasn't obviously not that much convincing because they did it. Right. But there was a little bit of like, oh well, how is he on TV? And I just kept saying like, I don't know. We haven't we haven't tested him that much, <laughs> but we don't need to. I said we can teach him how to be on TV. Right. I can't teach him to be a Hall of Famer. And right. That's kind of the that's attitude. That's the information you need. Right. That's the attitude we've had with everyone and. Stack, it's completely true. Like, you have been one of my favorite people to work with. Matt, you know how I feel about you. Because for me, the guys on that show and the women on that show, it's kind of like a basketball team. Yes. You need the Hall of Famers, but you also mm-hmm. need the guys who are the yep. good guys. Mm-hmm. You need the people with this perspective or that perspective, you know? So I just kind of think that we've been so lucky getting a lot of those people on. And, and look, sometimes you now you're off doing your own thing, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Don't take him too far away from me for too long. I'm just begging you, please. <laughs> He's um, behind all this, Rachel. No, I, no, I can't take the credit. He's I behind it. it. I know. Trust me, I know. Um, <laughs> but it's great because, you know, people come through, then they cycle out for a little bit, then they come back, mm-hmm. and it just keeps, it's like your friend. It's like sitting around talking basketball with your friends. It's a great mm-hmm. conversation. Well, congratulations. You just hit the five-year mark mm-hmm. in this past February. Mm-hmm. So congratulations Congrats. on that. What is it like for you now? Because, you know, you started off in, in journalism and then you're like a real celebrity in this space because That's basketball not, has is grown so, true. Grown so much. Not remotely true. Don't lie, Rachel. Cut it out. Okay, no, no, I no, always no. see on my comments how much people love you. So I, know I, I used to tell her the same thing. She's just being modest. She, I, I used to tell her the same thing. My page is blow up, man. I love Rachel. What Rachel got on today, man. We love Rachel. Look at her hair. Rachel, I was showing you that the whole time I was on. But it was on. that too on they top of the Rachel. I think the fact that obviously the her. appearance is easy on the eyes, but the fact that in the other reason why you have our trust who's because you know what you're talking about too uh, so, I said, so it's you're a double-edged sword from that standpoint but what has that been like without being modest like now you're recognized wherever you go now because you're on tv so much and you know what you're talking about well the answer to all of that is i'm just old so if you're around long enough <laughs> yeah. people will just be like oh yeah she must be good she's still here and i've been doing it for a long time yeah. like that is that is a big part of it i was super lucky i went to northwestern as i said so i was in chicago i was in chicago when michael jordan played for the bulls yeah like 
Prime that's, time. That's the thing. And then I can keep going back to that. Or, you know, I covered that was, you know, Scottie Pippen's on our show sometimes now. I met Scottie Pippen because I was a little very nervous, even smaller than I am now, as hard <laughs> as that is to believe. Short human in mm -hmm. in the Bulls locker room, nervously trying to get up the guts to ask him a question at 19 when I was like Whoa. stringing for newspaper, trying to like, you know, whatever. So I've been around a long enough time that, yeah, I think it, it's good. I have earned that trust with people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how many basketball games do I probably watch a year? Like 200? Like mm -hmm. how many, you know, you, you do that enough. People get that you have, like we are talking about before, you've done the work, right? Yeah. You do all the shit. So it's, Well, speak on what kind of homework you almost have to do you yeah. said you're a fan of it but at the same time i'm a fan but i get tired of watching that shit you know what <laughs> i mean but you're on tv every single day with like a daytime basketball talk show and mm -hmm. there's nothing like it so how much preparation how much time does that take because obviously you're a wife you're a mother yep. but then you have such a demanding job you were telling us before we even started your schedule heading yeah. all the way through the olympics like your schedule <laughs> in the next five months is crazy yeah. so talk to us about how much preparation and time it takes to do what you're doing yeah well first of all i'm so lucky right if my family wasn't set up and if everyone involved in my family, including my little twins, my husband, mm -hmm. you couldn't do it without that, right? So that's the first thing. I could not do this job if it was not set up so that I could. This weekend, I'm going to Brooklyn Nets game in Brooklyn. Like, you know, I got children who need to eat. Someone's mm -hmm. got to feed them. So right. I'm very, very grateful. I'm very lucky about that. And, and then, yeah, it's just kind of constantly being open to having that drift into your day. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, hey, I'm on drive to work, I'm listening to someone's basketball podcast. I listen to All the Smoke. I'm listening to, <laughs> you know, sort of the conversation that's going on. I'm at work. I'm listening to a bunch of different things and different people. You know, at night, I'm watching at least two or three games, kind of have on and, and see what's going on. I read a lot. Mm -hmm. And part of it is just so that not only can I do the show opens that we do and some of the stuff we do, but I want to be able to be there for you guys. Like when you're talking about something I don't want you to have to feel that there isn't a safety net of, oh, if I said this wrong guy's name, like mm -hmm. Rachel will be there. She'll mm -hmm. she'll kind of set it up mm -hmm. so it's smooth, so it's not a problem later mm -hmm. or anything like that. There's like a little course correct we need to do along the way in a discussion. I'm the one who's got to be able to have that answer. So mm -hmm. I got to do my homework. And I kind of feel like that's that's why I get to have a seat at that table. I don't want a championship like mm -hmm. you guys. So I didn't play, play basketball. So my value has to come from doing all that work. Mm -hmm. You ain't yeah. never tried for a team like one time in your life? Mm -hmm. Again, Pequeno. <laughs> <laughs> like, this, what you see here, is the result of a growth spurt. It is not good. I was never, I played soccer growing up because it's low to the ground. Mm -hmm. it's not. <laughs> What's it like being able to see former players you work with and kind of their growth and progress. Obviously, you said, you know, mm -hmm. T-Mac, you had him as an infant when it comes to reporting. <laughs> Paul Pierce has grown. Yep. Perk has turned into mm -hmm. a star. Yes. Mm -hmm. You see me and Jack mm -hmm. start at the beginning and kind of grow. What is that like? Because obviously, uh, we, we all look up to you and got a wow. chance to work with you. So... What's that like? It's killer. Like, we don't have people on the show I don't like. Right. So, first and, first and <laughs> yeah. foremost, it's right. her motherfucking show. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, say it that way. But, I mean, we're not going to, right? Because right. it's not going to be a good conversation. Right. It's not because I have, oh, my God, it's such decision-making power. It's more just like everyone knows it'd be crappy, right? Everyone we have on the show are people I'm legit really fond of and mm -hmm. want to see get better and try to hopefully support to get better and put you in good position. So when it happens, you're psyched, right? right. How many just, players' careers started on the jump, though? We got some people. 
lot. Oh, man, it's a but couple of people. us. Also, I'm a little bit of a stalker when it comes to that shit. So, like, <laughs> guys I know would be a good fit for us, like, in the last month or two of whatever the end of what they've already said is going to be the end of their career. Yeah. I mean, I have followed Vince Carter personally around more arenas where he's like, Rachel, I know. And I'm like, I know, but just want to remind you. You'll be good. You'll be, you'll be mm-hmm. coming on with us mm-hmm. after this. And it was he used to come on with us. You remember mm-hmm. he used to come on with us sometimes in the playoffs yep. when his teams didn't make it. And I would just be like, "All right, well, you know what's happening when you retire, but you get nervous. Maybe they'll go somewhere else. Maybe they'll do something else." So mm-hmm. it's just a, it's a I call it light stalking. It's, yeah. it's a light stalking. It's not tampering on this side. <laughs> <laughs> what's up? I'm John Wall, and I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Six Man of the Year elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, he's gonna guard, and then on I'm top of it, like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The one million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the One Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. 
McGrady was drawn in because of your knowledge of the game and couldn't turn you down. How did that feel hearing that? Well, again, T-Max, some light stalking. His wife helped me out with that. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's good. I think there have been guys who have come in, and, and I don't know if T-Max was like this. I mean, I, again, guys I've covered, I think it helps, right? So you all dealt with me when you were playing. Mm -hmm. So I think it helps that you it feel on easier. Tracy. You mm -hmm. just feel like you know me, so it's not like a big sell or anything. But I think there's still like a little bit of, and this is earned, by the way, why is she talking when I'm the one who played, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit of that with, with not any one in particular, but with some just overall. Mm -hmm. And you gotta, you gotta, again, it's like everything else, you gotta earn it. Mm -hmm. And I can see sometimes when that flip comes for some of the guys when they're newer on the show. Like, oh shit, she knows what she's talking Reynolds about. Sort of, oh, okay, you know, that's right. <laughs> like, she in the big seat for a reason. <laughs> yeah, right, she's the main one. That feels good to, right. to answer that question, whether it was a Mac or with anyone else, that feels good because you're, yeah, the opinion of you guys really matters to me. Mm -hmm. If y'all think that we know the game and we know what we're talking about on the show, like that, that right. matters. And I think one of the great early things about the show, and you mentioned our five years, and it's been awesome. And honestly, we had a six-month tryout with the show, so the fact that it turned into five yeah, years right. is pretty killer. Yeah. You know, it went from a half hour to an hour. It went from just yeah. in the season to year-round. Like, all that stuff made it feel really good. What meant more to me, and you guys worked with the great Gina, and so you know, and mm -hmm. she can vouch for this, was... Shout out, Gina. She's Shout the out, shit. Shout out, Gina. GB. Um, when we had guys around the league say, oh I, wa oh, I watch that every day. That's the show, right? Or I have, you know, coaches, head coaches, who will text me during after discussion. The, or during or the show, during. yeah. And it's it's not usually to say that was wrong. In no. a nice way, it's usually to chime in or be like, oh, you should tell them such and such. You're like, right. oh, you're right about that or right. whatever. And that feels, that to me is yes. kind of more important, frankly, than any rating or anything else. Right. It sort of feels like the if I'm doing right by of your you peers. guys. Well, just if I'm doing right by right. you guys, then mm -hmm. that means that we're doing it right. Absolutely. You know? Take us back to last year um, going into the bubble and really kind of <laughs> being the voice of everything that went on there. You know, Jack is leading the biggest, yep. you know, demonstration in the history of our country. The NBA decides to play. Uh, you get thrown in the bubble and you're kind of the, the sole person kind of keeping us in touch on what's really going on in there. Yeah, we were the only daily show in the bubble. Um, it was all the challenges you'd expect because you had a limited number of people who could even do stuff. So we're sitting around, we got, how many cameras you got pointed at you right now to do this show, this fine endeavor? One, two, three, Eight. four, five, six. Is there another yeah. one up there? Yeah. We have like one producer with one camera, right. you know, and then helped by a second producer with a second camera. Really? What these, what these producers did, we had two or three in the bubble at a time, depending if like, people came in and out. I can't even speak to the acrobatics they had to do for yeah. us to put on a television mm -hmm. show. So just to get to that was crazy because again, there's just a limited number of people the NBA wanted in there, which I mm -hmm. get considering every right. one person, extra person is one more risk. And then to try to be in this crazy environment where we're living in the same place as the players, which is kind of nuts. Mm -hmm. and trying to sort of keep the right boundaries in terms of COVID and all of the, you had to be six feet away from people. But you have a conversation with a guy after a game, you want to talk to him, right? right? So can you do that from eight feet away? Can you, you don't want to shout this right. shit. So right. like trying to like stay within the rules, but also do our job was kind of a whole thing. And it just, it was, it was crazy. And then of course, because it was such an unusual situation with coronavirus and everything going on in the country, leading up to this huge election. I mean, you kind of couldn't have a crazier confluence of events mm -hmm. 
And I always say about you guys that, that the NBA and the WNBA as a whole are, I, th- I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, these are the the most visible African-American men and women in this country, right? No question. And therefore, unfairly at times, there is a responsibility and a mantle of having to answer for stuff that like, I mean, we say it all the time, people being oppressed should not have to answer for that oppression. Yeah. It is insane the way that mechanic works. But if you don't talk about it, who else is fucking right, talking about right. it? Right. So it's a catch-22, and it put all this weight on these men and women in these two bubbles, and they did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, they kept the conversation where it should be. When it was time to stop, they stopped. When it was time to start, because they had people's attention, they started. And they managed a lot of really complex, nuanced stuff in a way that, frankly, like I was so proud every day to be associated with this group of people. Because mm. it was hard. Yes. Take us back to when the Milwaukee Bucks decided to sit out a game. Well, it was so interesting to me that sort of how it happened, because there was this idea when it first happened, like, oh, they planned this. What do they want? They didn't plan it. And, and they sh- by the way, shouldn't have had to have planned it. It was real. That was mm-hmm. a legit in the moment reaction to, okay, we have found our breaking point. This is too much. It is too much. And I'm going to sit down in my place and not be moved mm. because it is too much. And I think getting people to understand that and getting to understand that in the 48 hours that followed, like people kept saying, well, what do they want to start playing again? It's, it's not about that. What we want, by the way, is like stop people to stop people. killing people in the street. I don't think that's happening in the next right, two days, right. unfortunately. Right. But like, I think there was a there was a real misunderstanding at the beginning of kind of how it happened, the domino and even within the bubble, there was some you know back and forth between some of the players, right? Mm-hmm. Look, you had another team that was warming up on the court at the time, and they had some feelings, right? They were just sort of like, why Could didn't told you us? tell us about right. this? Because now we look like we don't support Jacob Blake and his family, or that like we at least could have done this as a united front or whatever. Right. And I think over time, you know, over those 24 or 48 hours, it came to be an understanding of like, okay, this wasn't planned and we excluded you. It's just like in that moment, we could not open the door and walk out of it. Um, There were other players who felt like they were kind of put in a position like once the Bucks don't play, nobody can really play, right? Right. You can't sit there and be like, oh, we're going to go out and play because you're not being supportive. So I think there were some other players that felt like kind of, okay. And that tapped into, too, a moment in the bubble where guys had been there long enough where you just get, I mean, I know, I get it. I hear all the criticism. Oh, millionaires sitting in a fancy hotel in Florida, whatever. It is hard when you cannot leave less than one square mile of land. Like I would walk, you, you walk in a circle, Walk back in a circle. If you're a runner, you're literally running in a half semicircle you're allowed to run in. And then back, you'd have to do like 20 or 30 of those just to get a run in. Like you cannot leave the same four walls. It is not your home. You are not with your family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys have Paul George on. I thought what he said in the middle of the bubble about just sort of that mental health aspect of normally you can take a step away from the game and just, you know, have Decompress. your kids crawl all over you for mm-hmm. two hours right. and like watch a stupid movie or do whatever. There's just none of that. So whatever was happening on the court is 100% of your existence and then everything going on outside in the outside world. And I think those two things kind of conspired in that moment for the stoppage. And it just took a minute for everyone to kind of get their breath. But I also think there was a lot accomplished with that, with Mm -hmm. sort of that refocus on voting 
and sort of even in Wisconsin, the focus on the laws about policing and sort of what people were allowed to do. And there was legislation that was already in the state government that just wasn't getting moved along. And the players helped shine a light on that. Mm-hmm. I, I just I don't think you can look at that as anything but a triumphant moment for the league and the players in terms of, again, crazy fucking situation right. and rising to the occasion in a way that that no, it wouldn't be fair to expect. But it's pretty awesome that it, it happened. Great, they yeah. did, and that was one thing. You know, Jack and I went back and forth on because we literally stood and normally we nine out of ten times we're mm-hmm. gonna agree with each other, yeah. but we didn't agree from a standpoint of he thought that they shouldn't play, they should mm-hmm. sit out and and make their protests, and I thought the opposite. I thought there was no. They're gonna. There's no bigger way to get their message out than to have that NBA logo behind everyone's voice. You're so gonna, have you guys? Has either one changed or shifted the position at we all? Talked about, you know we talked about. We talked about it on the show. Hindsight? We kind of we, we came into an understanding. And I understand his point of view. He understood mm-hmm. my point of view. You know what I mean? But my thing was just like, you're gonna hear LeBron. You're gonna hear the big names. But do you hear the George Hills? Do you hear Doc's plea? Do you mm-hmm. hear? Yeah. You know some of the people that aren't superstars, but still had amazing things to say. And mm-hmm. like I said, individually we're very famous but together we're you know our voice travels around the world and i would be naive to say that it didn't make a difference it made a huge difference you know but me being so into it it was hard for me to see that far ahead you know what i mean but everyone played their part because yeah. your shit was needed. Like I said, you... I was going to say, you move that... You People meet in the middle ground. Well, there's got to be people moving that middle ground to one mm-hmm. side or the other. So yeah. if you're not moving right. that middle ground to one side or the other, then the middle's further on the, right. on the, on the wrong side, side right. on the other side. Yeah. I do think one thing that we saw the beginning of with sort of the vote, vote, vote stuff from the players to, for the second half of the bubble that I hope continues as we go through because there's another election that's Midterms coming, just coming. what, 18 months mm-hmm. away, all that stuff. Is, is the messaging getting out that it's not just voting for president. And you and I talked about this on the air, off the air a bunch. Most of what affects our lives local. is local, local right? Mm-hmm. It's who's running the school board, who's mm-hmm. running the police force, mayor, who's, police mayor chief, yep. what resources are going where, where the food is coming to who, mm-hmm. like all of that stuff, what, what businesses are zoned for what part of town, because there's mm-hmm. been all kinds of, you know, as you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of redistricting, all right. kinds mm-hmm. of, oh no, that's a, this kind of zone, yeah. that's a, that kind of zone. Yeah. I wonder what neighborhood you put those zones in. That's right. just such a crazy random. coincidence. So random. Um, yeah. And and I think some of the the players messaging on that because I heard players talking about it is the first time I have heard sort of at a national level people that all the all these kids and communities look up to talking about that right and I think that's a real key. you got to see it and hear it to mm-hmm. believe it you've personally been someone who has kind of stepped out on a limb considering you know your platform at ESPN but talked about other issues outside of sports and mm-hmm. I mean obviously we're talking about social justice now but mm-hmm. You know, having friends of the program, Carrie and Jamil were very outspoken, you mm-hmm. know, and, and sometimes ran into some trouble. You've been on you right there as well and, and talking about stuff outside of sports, but affects us as players still mm-hmm. in our communities and who we, you know, where we came from. So where did that courage come from? Because like I said, ESPN hasn't always been as lenient as they are now. And I think you've kind of helped change that narrative. Well, it's two things, right? We all know the older you get, the more you're just comfortable with who you are and what you think, right? right? So there's some of that. I also really, in my heart, believe that a lot of these issues are not political. I understand that there are people who want to make them political, but a lot of this stuff is human rights issues, and that should be okay to talk about. It's Mm -hmm. not about one side or the other. We can differ politically on how we want to solve these problems. It can't be political to just acknowledge that these fucking problems exist. So since... I think that is the case. I don't feel like I'm stepping out politically. Right. I feel I am talking about 
things that are just real. And then we can argue over the politics of how to fix them. Um, there's an interesting interview with Barack Obama after Donald Trump was elected. And I think it was, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. It was the New York Times, it was New Yorker, it was someone. It was, it was Barack Obama's first big interview after Hillary Clinton lost and turning over the White House to Donald Trump. And he said, the thing that frustrates me the most is it used to be like, hey, global warming's happening or the environment, you know, we, we've got to address this. And there was a lot of fighting over the EPA and like how we would solve the problem that there was smog in all these cities and that like our air and water was getting polluted and it was poisoning children and that we had like nuclear reactor pollution and all that. There was a lot of argument over how to fix that. There was an argument about the fact it needed to be fixed. Mm. And he pointed out that now there's an argument about whether it e the problem even exists at all. <laughs> so for me, like that has been something that I don't feel like I'm stepping out on a limb too much because to me, I, I no. actually believe it is not political. Right. And then some of it comes to of you sit there and you play it out and I'm like great I, I have this sentence in my head always of like okay what's the newspaper headline if I get suspended Rachel Nichols suspended from ESPN 4 mm. and then it's like okay I'm okay I'm with good headline. with that right. right so I really came out hard when the NBA was considering or had its all-star game scheduled for Charlotte and there were some laws passed in Charlotte that I just felt were serious civil rights issues. I mean, this was lunch counters. Ooh. I know that there was, again, politics. There was a side of the issue that tried to, or dubbed it the bathroom bill or the bathroom law. That was not the heart of the law. The heart of the law was that businesses, including restaurants, including hotels, hospitality, could turn someone away for being gay. And they were going to hold an all-star game with an openly gay president of a team, the Golden State Warriors, who was the reigning dynasty at the time, mm -hmm. who could have come to town and been told, I'm sorry, you can't stay at the team hotel because we have this law now? Like, that's not okay. And I remember it was kind of early in the jump and talking to one of the executive producer, Kevin Wilds, who worked with, with us on the show then, and he was so great at being supportive. And I, I just kind of felt like, okay, I'm going to really go out here. And if someone calls me and says, I'm sorry, I'm taking you off the air for a week, I'm okay with that headline. Right. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where... For the right reason. I mean, we, we were just together. We broke, because it, it came across the wire as yeah. we were working, the yeah. All-Star, the MLB deciding to yeah. move the All-Star game out of Atlanta. You know, and uh, I think it's great that, that, that sports is kind of... Because uh, it's, it's, it's always a touchy subject, and people are scared to talk about human rights, but at the end of the day, racism. You know what I mean? So it's always very touching. Like you said, they'll turn it into political mm -hmm. talk, but at the end of the day, it's basic human rights yeah. you know and i think it's beautiful that you're starting to see especially mlb that's america's pastime you know what i mean for them to take a step and say hey you know what you're doing in georgia is not right we're going to move our business like to me it's just like i kind of feel like a change is amongst us i thought that the mlb mlb did that you and i were talking before the show that delta yep. is doing it mm -hmm. um these are not businesses as you say that are so traditionally in support of some of the stuff that the nba let's say, or the yeah. NFL, even the NFL players are, mm -hmm. have been in support of. And they really stepped out there and did it. And it is fascinating to me again. And, and it, you know, look, voting laws are more po political by their nature. But isn't, I mean, it's crazy to me that people who in one hand are waving an American flag are trying to limit what makes America America, America. which is democracy. <laughs> it, it's just sort of how, how do we get here Unbelievable. And, and it's a shame that it, we have to use the word courageous when talking about someone coming out against that limitation of democracy mm -hmm. 
but I guess it is now, yeah, and I'm ha- right. I'm psyched that that we're seeing people do it. Do it. How do you see the progression of sports journalism? when it pertains to women compared to where you first came in? So definitely the couple generations before me were the ones that had like the really shitty time. And I mean, there's a story about a woman who was the baseball beat writer for a long time and she's amazing and worked her ass off and baseball is a tough place to be breaking into and we're talking 30, 40 years ago. And one of the players kept saying, she's like a little rat in the locker room. And then they sent her a fucking rat in a box to open. Like there's all the stories about, you know, guys inappropriate doing things, saying things in locker rooms, all that shit. So the women before me had to deal with the brunt of that. By the time I came in, it was not that bad. It was certainly not as good as it is now, which is, you know, it's it's nice that we're seeing progress. Um, I don't think we had women hosting sports shows in the same way we do now. I mean, I have to go back and look. I don't mm-hmm. want to, I don't want to, if someone was doing it, I don't want to not mm-hmm. give light on their legacy, but in general, it was not the thing that we saw. So mm-hmm. being able to make that progress feels good. I think now the line is, and I think it's the same thing with race. I see my friends deal with is the criticisms aren't overtly about race or gender, but you know that the standard's different, right? You know that like they're picking at the black guys, they're picking mm-hmm. at the women, they're especially picking of women, picking at women of color in a way that they just aren't doing with some of the people that they are quote more used to or more mm-hmm. comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the next hurdle because in some ways that's more insidious, it's harder to fight against. Like if I've had times where earlier in my career, I've had people say, you can't go to the post-game locker room. You can't go to the press conference. And I will say to that security guard, well, here's my credential. You know, I always have, I always have to have my, even now, I always have to be the one to have my credentials. Mm-hmm. Not enough that I'm mm-hmm. running, running around. Have my credential. Here I am. And I have had more than one guy, I had a guy say to me one time in a hallway, oh, I'm sorry, honey, the anthem singer can't be back here. Mm-hmm. Or even like people, you know, show them a credential with the name ESPN or before that with the Washington Post and say, oh, I'm, 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 look at you. You can't go where the boys are, but boys are changing in there. And you're just like, that's not how this is set anthem up. Singer. So that stuff is in some ways easier to, to deal with and battle against because you just get the right person in the right place and you just deal with it, right? It's the more sort of the little chipping away. And you mentioned Carrie or Jamel earlier, Jamel is a great example all kinds of criticisms of her that weren't overtly about her being a woman or overtly about race but come on Mm -hmm. we know why they're picking on her Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris in the debate she's shrill she's making faces that's all code (laughs) for we don't want a black woman up there Mm -hmm. and that I think that's the thing that the women in in my industry are sort of now that that's a level we're fighting against Mm -hmm. but that's true for everyone you know yeah how do you feel of being in the spotlight and being the example for young women that want to be in this space? How do you feel like being the standard that, and the blueprint? Well, I mean, I hope that I can be a good example when I'm, you know, every day when I'm out there. Along with others like Doris well, Burke and others. I was going to say, yeah. there's so many. That, that's kind of the second half of that sentence is there's so, there's, we're lucky. There's so many women just at ESPN, but even across mm. the board. Um, so I don't, no one has to carry that weight on their own. And that is... That is a relief. And as I say, different from the women who were maybe a generation before me where a lot of them, they were not the only one in the room sometimes. They were the only woman in the room all, all the time. time. Yeah. And now I'm still the only woman in the room sometimes, but mm. it's not all the time. And right. that makes a huge difference. But I hope that I can show people and young women that they have the room to succeed, but also the room to screw up. Right, okay. Again, it's why 
every time on the jump when we do stupid shit, I'll be like, oh God, this fell apart. That's not the video that's supposed to run now. I should have said that. I say this is what I meant to say or whatever, because I do think when you are a minority in the space, whether it is race or gender or whatever it is, you feel like you have to be perfect, right? right? right. And there's that pressure on you to be perfect because you're representing everyone. And if you mess it up, I remember really clearly when I was covering more NFL for ESPN, uh, I was the reporter on site at some football game and the guys at NFL Live or Countdown or whoever it was were, were talking and Michael Irvin kept talking about Al Gore, Al Gore, Al Gore, Al Gore. And it just didn't, I was like, no, Frank Gore. Frank Gore is who he was talking about. But he just kept slipping and saying the wrong name. And it was fine. I mean, it was legitimately funny. fine. I, that's funny. It though. was funny. It was fine. It was totally fine. If I, I do remember though, being listening with my IFB, waiting for my turn to talk and thinking, if I said that, mm-hmm. I would be probably done. I was still young enough and new enough that like, you know, whatever. So you do feel that pressure of I have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And I am so far from perfect that I hope (laughs) that that kind of gives a little people some room. And also like I do impress upon young women all the time and young men, people who come to me for advice, like you just got to fucking do the work. Mm -hmm. It's not going to just be there for you. What's what's the chances Mm -hmm. of Michael Irvin saying Al Gore? (laughs) Do you get the connection? I do. Do you? Another show. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this current NBA season? Obviously, the pandemic hit last year. We go into a bubble. You experienced that. Short mm-hmm. off season, late start, uh, all-star game. At like, What is your thought just on, on covering the basketball for a long enough time just to kind of see where the NBA is right now? Well, there's so much stuff going on right now that's historic, right? Quote, unquote. We never had a season like this. We never had a bubble like this. We never had a 72-game season before. I don't know what it's going to look like in the playoffs. You know, we never had COVID tests before or a pandemic or any of this 20 and 0. So, <laughs> exactly. 28 and 1. With a, the <laughs> one is a no contest. Yeah, no contest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No contest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been paying attention, by the way, when you guys have been yeah. given these stats. And yeah. I just want to point out, stacks winning. So, mm-hmm. there you go. Undefeated, baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Surprising with that nose. I'm surprised anything can get up in that motherfucker. I'm surprised nothing. They probably lost it. a couple of Q-tips up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can get that mascot all over everything. Um, so that's, I mean, that feels special, right? Mm-hmm. To be doing something that's never happened before. But I'm also, and we talked about this a little bit. Um, I want Stax take. So every day I say out of my mouth at some point during the show these days is, hey, that's a new NBA record or that's a rookie record or that's a such and such record. We have had, because of a lot of just different conspiring events, like this huge scoring inflation over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. to the point where, I, look, whatever day this airs and you guys look it up on your stats, just excuse me if this has changed by 1.20 degrees. <laughs> but as I sit here, um, nine of the top 10, like highest producing, most efficient offenses have been offenses in the last two years in the history of the NBA. Does that mean that we've had suddenly like the second coming of the best NBA players ever in this last two seasons? No, it just means the teams aren't playing defense the same way. The rules are different. The pandemic changes everything. You don't have practice time. So therefore you can't like play solid defense, all that shit. So part of what I'm trying to navigate right now in this unprecedented season is how do I talk about this? Right. Right. Because we talk about, oh, this guy, I don't know. I think it was Anthony Edwards who like had a record the other night where he's more points as a rookie than anyone but LeBron and KD. 
And I'm like, well, does that mean that he's in the LeBron and KD conversation? Mm, or does mm. it just mean that there's more points available right now? Right. I, I don't know how to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, What's your it, take on it? I, I would say he has the upside to be in that conversation. Mm -hmm. He's headed in that direction. That's mm -hmm. all I could say. I wouldn't put him in that. But overall, with inflated numbers, because I mean, we talked to Webb the other day, and he didn't say it, but Webb would kill in this era. You know right. what I mean? Like, but you got the players now saying the game is softer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when we say it, we being disrespectful, <laughs> we hate. But when the players today that's actually playing say the game is soft, you know, they agree with it. But the game is definitely, it's a scoring game now, mm -hmm. point blank. Mm -hmm. I mean, would you agree with scoring is what continues to help the game grow? Well, I do think that, like, look, people it brought us kid, brings kids in i have like we're the twin club you mm -hmm. had c webb on the other day mm -hmm. he's in the twin club yeah. so you know you are twin in, in so many ways Jack. yeah i am yeah right Georgia. um <laughs> if not biologically then you know yes. in spirit yes um but uh it's funny i have young twins we moved here when they were like four and a half and it was in the height of warriors mania and I, you know, their mommy had the games on at night mm -hmm. all the time, and we had West Coast timing, right? Mm -hmm. So we had Steph Curry and we whatever. And my kids fell in love with Steph at five years old. These two little girls, like, and Clay, and the whole nine. And and my daughter would say, "Oh, Steph's just like me. He's small." And I'd say, "No, you're four. And <laughs> he's actually six foot two, but to right. her." She felt like that. My mm -hmm. other my other twin, my other daughter loves Draymond. Mm -hmm. She just thinks he's the best mm -hmm. and she wants to play when on her basketball team, she wants to play defense like Draymond. I love it. And all of that. And it I I watched that team bring them in in a mm -hmm. way if they had maybe been little kids in the era where I was covering you, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. In an eighty four <laughs> to eighty seven yeah. Pacers Spurs game, they would have like right. really attached to the game right. in that right. same way. So I do think sweet. it helps. I've watched it happen in my own house mm -hmm. i don't know how your twins same are with thing. all that same thing i mean i think like i said I, I think it comes to a point and if you even talk about it from like what we do mm -hmm. i would much rather talk about highlight scoring than a defense you know what right. i mean like because i mean because i know that's what as a purist i would wouldn't mind talking about but i know that the crowd or our fans want to see three point they want to see steph shooting from half dame mm -hmm. shooting from half they want to see lebron dunking like that's what they want to see oh. they don't want to see that old school battle i mean when dame pulls up it's great. Oh, Incredible. It's there's no, there's Incredible. no arguing about that. Incredible. But you know, <laughs> exactly. Bye bye. Go ahead. Bye bye. Who has impressed you most, team and players? Uh, you know what I'm impressed by? I mean, it's a little cop out answer, but it's just the truth. Like the under 25 crowd in the NBA right now mm -hmm. are so fucking together. Yes. Like the Donovan Mitchells of the world and like all that stuff. Like self-possessed and like understanding the game and i don't even mean basketball i mean like the big game mm -hmm. better than certainly i did at that age but i think even the future the past generations did and they have the benefit right they've grown up with social media they've yeah. grown up with Zach like a more Levine's. global yeah like mm -hmm. kind of perspective they've grown up with more new ideas mm -hmm. like at them earlier so they've been able to internalize that shit. but like i have i've been constantly kind of surprised at like, wait, this kid's 23? Right. Like this kid's right. 24? And just sort of the possession, self-possession and sort of the way that they have been able to both try, it's still a lot of those guys are still trying to make their name in the game, mm -hmm. but not afraid to put themselves, their brand, their, you know, everything on the line for what's important. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of really 
that, that stuck with me. I think a lot. it's a, a different way from when we came in. I mean, even what the conversations that happened, like the business of basketball was never even a cross thought when we first came in. Mm-hmm. It's chains, it's cars, it's women, it's yep. this, this material things. But now the whole narrative has changed. It's what are you investing in? Are you in Bitcoin? Are you in this? Are you in mm-hmm. that? What social justice issue are you standing behind? And mm-hmm. like you said, guys aren't afraid to put there because I mean back when we started that's brand suicide you know well, what I mean you stand if Jack stands up for what he stood up for for Georgie back yep. in the day who knows what would have happened yeah yep. you know what I mean so it's just a different time obviously well the money's changed right that's so you're not as dependent on that NBA specific paycheck in the same way you've gotten the money you've already made in your career which is more earlier so you can risk a little more earlier your brand paycheck from your shoes from your sponsors stuff like that is is different and bigger so you can step out and brands and sponsors have changed because they now have to answer to a more educated mm-hmm. consumer base mm-hmm. that cares about this stuff. Right. I love the guys at Nike. I don't know if they would have stood behind Callan Kaepernick 20 years ago, mm. but they knew when they did it in the last few years, not only was it in terms of the belief system of the people who work there, it was also a good business decision. Right. So that all has changed a little mm-hmm. bit too. So. I got a question for you guys about basketball. I mentioned this to you the other day. If I'm stepping out, we don't have to talk about it. But I've been like super trying to figure this out. So we've been talking about James Harden, Mm -hmm. right? And quote, forcing his way out of Houston. What do you guys think is the right move for players who are in a system Mm. where they get drafted, right? Because the way America, this is not the NBA, American professional sports work this way, right? They work this way overseas too. You get drafted. It's a, it's a monopoly and they get to tell you where they go. You don't, you know, just go and say, oh, I'd like to live in Chicago. Um, you're under these contracts where they literally use the words in front offices like, oh, we have control of that player's contract or we are control that player for X number of years or that kind of thing. And it's written into the system that you sign a contract, but the other side signs too for X number of years. And then they can turn around within a certain number of months and trade you. Your kids don't go to that school anymore. Like they they shift your life and that mechanism is not set up for players. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually know the answer because there can't be an MBA if everybody can just pick where they start out to go. Because frankly, like there's a lot of, like Jack, you probably wouldn't have picked the Pacers I've been there. I went straight to the Rockets. Right? but. But it turned out, you know, like been obviously Hall, you had... It'd been the Harlem Nights every night. <laughs> <laughs> but you had great success there. You know what I mean? Like we can't, we can't just sort of... I, I get why the system isn't set up right. to just have... Everybody has free, free choice will, all right. the time. But what do you do? Because you have an, a thing this year, and this came from our discussion about James Harden. We've been talking about like, okay, is he going to get, quote, penalized by MVP voters because of what happened in Houston at the beginning of the year? And I just don't know what a player is supposed to do. What do you guys think a player should do? Young Malcolm. I think hmm. for the most part, James did what he don't think he could do. And because like when teams feel like you, you have no more value, they put you at the end of the bench. They demean you. It might not be in the media, mm-hmm. but they have their little own fraternity of owners and managers where they talk behind closed doors. And if they both agree that you not any any good no more. They'll put you at the end of the bench like they tried to do Melo. Mm-hmm. So my my whole thing with James was I just felt like, you know, when you have a black coach like Steve Siles getting a shot, help him look good. Yep. But at the same time, I understand James too wanting to win. And if they're not going to move him, 
then he has to force his way out because the same way he can force his way out, they can make him look bad to force him to stay there. So it, it, it's a tough situation, but the same way the teams can make you look bad, you should be able to wait to make yourself look good and speak on getting yourself out of there. But how do you do that without getting a label? Because that's what we were talking about. Like, is James wrong for wanting to get out? He's not wrong, but it's going to be opinions either way because you're right. going to have fans that say, we've been loyal to this whole time, yeah. but then it's going to be players like us that understand, hey, you want to win. He don't want to finish his career like Charles Barkley. He want to be in a position to win a championship. So we understand it, but it's always the fans uh-huh. that's in their feelings that's been like, well, you should stay with us. You owe us this. And really, he don't owe you anything. Well, then, but then we're asking too, I mean, because to me, if we're talking about basketball mm-hmm. with LeBron getting hurt and B getting hurt, Harden to me, if it's not Joker, it's Harden to win MVP. But we are talking about well, will some some voters hold it against Harden? His issues he had getting out of Houston. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that because how does how does that affect what he's doing on the court? He went there and immensely immediately made an impact. Huge he's playing impact. basketball, mm-hmm. and to Great me, basketball. and I I'm, I have to go against y'all. I, I would say he is the MVP. Him and Kyrie, I would give him co MVP because what they've been able to do immediately. Most teams, when you bring in stars like that, it take a year or two. Mm-hmm. Then it, it, then it even happens where. One of the stars have to go because they didn't work out, you know? So the way they've been able to jail and bring all this together, you got to give all the credit to James, bro. You have to. And, and I don't think him getting uh, asking to leave should be a knock on anything he's able to do this season. I agree. No, I, I thought Harden was, you know, to me, he's definitely worked his way to the top of the MVP conversation. But to me, it's not as like, yes, I think. And that MVP conversation, by the way, is going to keep going. And right. we still mm-hmm. have a third of the season. And mm-hmm. I always say, that, like, uh, how am I supposed to make a decision now? <laughs> like, if you asked me a month ago, I didn't know LeBron was going to get hurt. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Embiid was going to get hurt. So, like, how would I have, like, if I had come out and said, this is who I'm voting for, like, I would have looked like an idiot because I wouldn't have known right. that Joel Embiid was going to end up, you know, hurt or whatever. So I'm not making an MVP case for anyone at the moment, right. but it has brought up to me sort of one of these new frontiers of discussion with the NBA of what do we owe each other in terms of these contracts? What are the players, like what what vehicles do they have? Like I think player empowerment as an expression has been a little overused at this point, mm-hmm. but like where is the line and what is fair, but also creates a functioning NBA because right. it is the business that mm-hmm. everybody makes money off of. And if, it, if the league collapsed, that would be a problem too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of figuring out where, where that, that middle ground is. Mm-hmm. And James's situation, no matter which side of the argument you fall on, whether somebody comes out in this final third and Nikola Jokic is on fire and he's clearly the MVP, doesn't really matter to this conversation. I just more mean like in it's interesting to me because mm-hmm. it's sort of the one place where we've accepted free agency and moving around in a way we didn't used to in the league and like that idea of loyalty kind of doesn't Mm-mm. isn't used to shame players anymore which is really what it was for right. at sometimes but that one frontier is something where i, I don't know what the answer is and i'm, I'm kind of curious the question is brought up what's up i'm john wall and i'm cj toledano and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called point game we're now joined by three-time nba six man of the year elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's gonna guard. And then on I'm top of it, like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? 
I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't Nick? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at and The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Being a voter yourself, mm-hmm. and we've discussed this on yeah. the show as well, what is it going to take to f- see the whole, instead of just being a regular season MVP, mm-hmm. uh, just a whole body MVP? Yep. Because Gian- obviously Giannis is back-to-back, and he's struggled in the playoffs and hasn't been able to get his team to that next level. And when I picture MVPs, I'm picturing at the end of the game, it's the guy you can go to to get your team a win. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's obviously, and, and, and I'm not the only one that thinks like that, but you, know, you as a voter, you know, Matt, we understand that, but it's the regular season. What would it take or, or why doesn't it look at the whole entire season? So that my, my big things over the years of the show and the poor guys in the NBA office have heard this from me way too often, um, award reform, right? That's what I keep saying. We need some award reform because the NBA has not made any kind of major change to its awards in so many years. And every other American pro sports league, the major ones, have all since then. So the NBA, which is usually so far ahead of the other leagues, just isn't in this category. And I get the tradition and all of that. And then when you make a change, it then affects the value, quote unquote, of other people's MVPs or things in the past. But I just think the league has been so great about if something isn't right, like let's not worry about how it looks. Let's just Mm -hmm. fix it. And something that's not right to me is like most valuable player is not what we're really awarding right now. What we're really awarding is who's had the best statistical regular season. Mm -hmm. That's how that award has been sort of litigated and voted on. And partly that's the directive we get from the Mm -hmm. NBA. It's only regular season. Here's the stats. It's partly what stats are available to us, right? It used to be just kind of basic stats and offense and defense. Now we've got like hardcore offensive stats. We have a little less defensive stats. We got no stats for leadership. Mm. We got no stats for what someone says in the huddle or the judgment someone makes in like a key moment or decision. We've got clutch stats, but those don't always tell the whole story or Mm -hmm. anything. So because those statistics have taken on a greater part of how people analyze the game and because the voters are being told it's only regular season, the MVP at the moment is who had the best statistical regular season. That is what we would call it. It's clunky, but that is what it actually is. I'd like to see the MVP be for the MVP. Who's the fucking most valuable guy on this team, <laughs> right. in this league? Right. We all know who it is every mm-hmm. year. Right. And and sometimes it's debatable. Like, there was a point where it looked like KD was going to wrest that away from right. LeBron, right? And then he gets hurt. Like, like that can be a really interesting mm-hmm. discussion. It's not always the same guy all the time, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's a time where Kobe and MJ, like, like you've had these changing the guard moments that could be fascinating if mm-hmm. we gave an award for this. Right. And it would also identify, it's that, I think Bill Simmons made the, made the point, like, if the aliens came down and you had to win one basketball game and pick one guy to lead your team. The guy 
guy in Space Jam, probably, know, right? Exactly. We all, know, <laughs> we all know who it is. Well, I mean, originally that guy in Space Jam was right. Michael Jordan, Straight right? Up, well, both Michael of Jordan should have won more MVPs. Kobe should have right? won more. Like, LeBron should have won more. I just think that 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 high test or whatever you want to call it, who is legit the most valuable guy in the league? Mm-hmm. The problem is the awards aren't set up right. And right. so it mm-hmm. puts voters like me in kind of a crappy position. I know who the best guy in the league is, but I look at his numbers and during the regular season for reasons that could be that as some of these guys age, it's not smart for them to go all out in the regular season. They would be doing their team a disservice if they yep. chase stats in the regular mm-hmm. season. But because of that, they're penalized. They're penalized in voting. And even me as a voter, I have to say, okay, well, like that's not what I'm being asked to vote on. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just, I would love to see us as an NBA, as a league, follow what the NFL does, follow what the Major League Baseball does. They give awards, the NHL, they give awards for scoring. They give awards for like best offensive player or best season or something like that. And it differs in every league, mm-hmm. but you know the difference. Right. And there are so many years where a guy like Giannis could have won best season, mm-hmm. but someone else, until he proved that he could be the guy to lead his team to a championship, Can't be the MVP. someone else right. is the MVP. Yeah, it's hard to be MVP and you shoot shooting eyeballs from the free throw line, fam. Well, I mean, talking he, about- he doesn't love being MVP. He, doesn't, he wants to win. He, he right. knows that The bigger goal for a, him is the champion. Yeah. yeah. Getting his team over the hump. Right? Steven, what you think? Yeah, but you can't be shooting eyeballs at the free throw line, fam. That's all I'm he saying. He has a big issue with it's, that. It's just hard for me to say you're the best player in the league and you shooting oxygen from the line. I just, I just, I've ne- and we asked Kobe that what he said. I've never done it with my left hand. <laughs> Come on, man. All right. Well, um, you've been a part along the ride for LeBron's journey from the beginning. Yeah. From the Kang. high school to... Yep where he's at just winning this past championship, the highs, the lows. What have you seen the most as maturity goes on and off the court? Well, it's cool, first of all, to have a front row seat to someone's life from, I met LeBron when he was a senior in high school. We could be talking about someone who's a plumber. If I met someone when they were a senior in high school and then all the way through age 36 had this front row seat and being able to be there when they did the thing they were doing and watch them as they had kids or had family or like sort of had in uh, social justice sort of figuring out how they could could do that, you know, grew in terms of he started goddamn school. Like, I mean, the whole mm-hmm. thing, that could be anyone. It would have been a fascinating thing. And the fact that it was someone who has done all of this stuff, these the world on the shoulders mm-hmm. um, has been, that has been a cool thing for me. And, and I did start in Chicago um, watching Michael Wilbon do that with Michael Jordan, mm. right? And kind of tagging along to mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff. And then, you know, I happened to work in Washington, D.C. when Jordan came to Washington, D.C. And Michael Wilbon was obviously working with me then. So again, got to tag along to a lot of sort of that experience, watching someone else do it, having that front row seat and mm-hmm. getting to have done that with LeBron. And then in turn, as the younger guys come in, starting to have that with them too has been really cool. I mean, as someone whose job it is to sort of interpret what I see and kind of create these stories, you couldn't ask for anything more mm-hmm. than that. It's been pretty awesome. Mm. Thoughts on how the league and Adam Silver has handled the last year's past events? I mean, look, I, I don't think you can argue, like it's been an overall like huge success, mm-hmm. right? The yep. fact that they got a league playing and they were able to navigate through a global pandemic and keep everyone safe and nobody has had, you know, knock on every surface near me because we're not out of this yet, right. but no one has had serious health problems while you are trying to move people around the country in groups on a contact sport where everyone sweats all over each other. That is no easy thing. Have there been little things along the way that Always they is. may have wanted to do better? You know, now that the hindsight's twenty twenty, they would tell you that. You right. know, mm-hmm. so so sure. 
But, you know, it's kind of like I say, like, no one's perfect. Right. And people, you, you just got to do the best that you can. And I think they've made really good choices a they lot did. of the time. I agree. Thoughts on the play-in format? Because I absolutely love it. I love it, too. I know a lot of people don't, but yeah. I, I think it's awesome. It was really think, fun in the bubble. Right. And it just gives everybody a little bit more skin in the game, but in a way that doesn't feel like it's going to mess with the integrity of who wins. Like, I don't think it's going to make it. The playing tournament is going to have no effect on who wins the NBA title. Mm -hmm. I don't think whoever makes it into the playoff game is going to win. We've never had an eight seed win a title before. Came close a little bit with Patrick Ewing, but never didn't happen. Um, And I I certainly don't think a play-in team is my guess. I mean, who knows? Someone's now going to do it, and they're going to show this clip. And I'm sorry. I'm looking in the camera. I'm sorry. I doubted you you who I don't even know, and I don't even know what team this is, but clearly I doubted you, and you can use that as motivation. I mean, if the Lakers slide, you know, with AD and Braun, if they happen to slide like to me if they slide and get into a playing situation as long as they're healthy i still think well, they're the best team in the western Co- you know yes. outside of them yes. i agree no i think i think that's true but yeah. that's a case of the plan I, I just don't think the plan is going to have a team that doesn't deserve right. it no, absolutely not. i guess that's what i should yeah. say because like in a single elimination thing um in that first game or two of the actual playing tournament anyone can win but what right. that team then has to go into the playoffs mm-hmm. right then you have to go into seven game series mm-hmm. so i just don't think you're going to get some outlier team that shouldn't be there right. win so i i should uh, that's a good point i mm-hmm. should i should have from see i messed up i should Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should put that mm-hmm. in there. I got you. You got me. See, yeah, you got, I got me. You. Yeah. Um, but but uh, but yeah, I just think that it's it's only fun. Do you? How do you feel about Jack? I just feel like it's an interesting twist. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like the old school way. You or you got to earn your way in. I don't like all this other shit. You know, top eight. Everybody else go home. Get on that boat early. One, two, three, <laughs> Cancun. And uh, you know, everybody else that earned it, get in there. See, I, like it. I like it because I think it starts the the energy for the playoffs a little bit sooner. And yeah. it's a cool format. You know, seven plays eight. or Yeah, seven plays eight and mm-hmm. seven. The winner gets seven. seven. And then eight, eight plays, plays the, lo- the winner, winner of, of nine, nine the, ten. The, lose, the loser of the seven-eight battle plays, plays the, the winner, winner of, of the nine ten, ten. And that's who's the eight. AC. Yeah, so to me, or I whatever. just think it's great energy. I, I just think it, it gives the playoffs a jump start. And like you said, something different. I mean, I get tradition, but like we said, I mean, we're in just a different time now, so why not try something different? I think something that they did that worked well in the bubble, yeah. they're continuing If I'm an eight along. seed, I ain't finna fight for the eight seed. Well, depends on who Dr- you are, too, That's right? what Draymond said. Like Draymond, Draymond said, said don't get him excited. Day, right? <laughs> I'm already here. What I gotta play for? for? And, and by the way, <laughs> the Raptors, right, this year, it depends on who you are. We've so been sorry all year, Rachel, to land in this eight spot. <laughs> We don't deserve it. <laughs> Look, the Raptors this year at the trade deadline, this is a team that is two years removed from winning a title, playing in a state they don't even live in, True. like not even in front of their fans, all this stuff. And they basically decided, you know what? We're going to try to keep our core, but we're not going to like go all out to win a playing game. We don't have to. Our fans don't expect that. They're not going to be happy with a play. Ooh, we won a playing game. Yeah, we won a title yeah. two years ago. Right. So for teams like that, for teams like the Warriors, I get Draymond being like, Straight I'm up. not excited. But you know what? We had Darren Fox on the show the other day. He'd like to play oh, a yeah, playing game. Yeah. You know? And mm-hmm. I get that, too. That's a good yeah. experience for him. But yeah. even if you wouldn't be excited, even though Draymond's not going to say, I know when the ball goes up for you and the ball goes up for him, you yeah. guys are going to play your asses yeah. up. Yeah, yes. true. So, but I get, true. like, motherfucker, I'm playing for championships, not a playing game. But right. I still get it. Who do you have in the finals? Ooh, I don't predict. But here's why. I, I, I swear it's not just a cop-out. Here's what I love about sports and what really got me when you guys were asking at the very beginning about why, I, you know, how I grew up to do this is... 
I love superhero movies, right? I love comic book movies. I love the whole thing. I'm unusually excited to a point where people are concerned about me, about Star Wars movies or things like that. But I do know in the end who's going to win. I sit down in an Avengers movie. You know who's winning? The fucking Avengers. Mm -hmm. You know, I sit down in a Star Wars movie. I know which side is going to win. When I go to a basketball game, I don't know who Spider-Man is and I don't know who the villain is. Mm. I got to wait till the end to find out who the winner is, who the guy I'm supposed to be rooting for is. Mm -hmm. That is so essential to me about why I love this game that I fight so hard. We don't do a ton of picks on our show, as you guys both know. We do some because the players like it, but Mm -hmm. like I don't. Like, I, I am hoping to be surprised by who is in the finals this year because that will make it so much more so fun So she's for got me. Superman versus Captain America. Exactly, I'm all well, well, That's oh, what yeah. she's got. Superman versus Captain America. Yeah, that's, <laughs> a good one. that's a good one. Uh, you recently did an interview with Juan Toscano Anderson. Yeah. And he was just in awe with the fact that he got he interviewed by you. Sweet. It wasn't even it was a press conference. He was oh, yeah. so kind. Right. I but was just it... asking him a question. He was right. like, Mitchell Nichols was asking right. him a question. It was very sweet. Like when you hear younger players and newer players, I mean, I think obviously it goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, like mm-hmm. it's a sign of respect. Like people oh, nice. look respect you and look up to, but how does that make you feel without being all modest? Well, I mean, look, again, it's just... Yeah, I'm put, tired of that. <laughs> here's the, the, the thing it makes me feel that is not modesty because it's me saying hey I did this mm-hmm. is that it makes me feel like I put in it. the work right it. that's right. what it makes me feel like it doesn't mean oh man I know everything or oh I'm I'm a big deal to these guys because that goes away and you know you guys mm-hmm. both know that so you're not going to take no tomorrow. credit for, for me being where I'm well, at well yeah <laughs> for you being no I'm not taking any credit for you you've done this all yourself yeah but you but my first opportunity was with you well because, you gave I, me my knew first how, opportunity. because I knew how good you could be and I knew who you were as a person and so again that I'll goes back to credit for it. I love what you used to wear, though. Your flannels with your Mm -hmm. gold chains hanging out. I I was weak. I was weak. It was weak sometimes. (laughs) Then I I came back with the suits. I got tired of y'all talking about me, so I came back with the suits. <laughs> so no, I used to see. I was like, I was, one of my homeboys. It might even my brother. Yo, Jack's on this new ESPN show with like a, a Boys in the Hood flannel. So the <laughs> so, no, I gotta see what this shit is. That goes back to what we wanted the show to be at the front, right. which chill. was a chill and mm-hmm. be like, be who you. Be you, yeah. right? Yeah. Be you. <laughs> I did that. You're good at that. You're definitely good at that. Changing speeds a yeah. little bit. You had a, an amazing sit down with Mac and Kobe at oh, the Mamba man. Academy. You make me cry. That's not yeah, nice. classic. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Talk to us just about what that interview and what you took from them because their journeys were very similar coming up together. How special was that interview for you? Yeah, it meant a lot to me because I had covered the thick of them competing against each other, so I knew what that really. I knew all the new of that relationship and what it was and how tight they had been at the beginning and then how they had some separation, not because anyone did anything wrong and there was no beef, but just just like as competitors and you grow apart and everything. And I knew too from covering them both or or being friendly and and working with them both post-career that they weren't really in touch in that close way. They were good. Again, they were totally good with each other. I don't want to even like get near implying anything else, but they're just, you know, life life Mm -hmm. is life, right? And... I knew I could see in the moment, the minute we brought them back together, just that all that energy was like, just like back when they were like 20 years old and it was just everything. And then what was pretty awesome after that was seeing in the year that followed. And unfortunately, that's all we had. It was it was really less than a year before he died, but that they really got close again. And I think it was having that that sort of moment, a reason to be together, to have a two hour conversation. Mm -hmm. And then from that, it became like, oh, 
hey, my kid's in this AAU tournament. You might, your kid, oh, let's, mm-hmm. let's hang out at the AAU tournament. They were rooting for each other's kids at right. games and shit and talking. Mm-hmm. And that felt, especially now knowing what we know about the time that Kobe had left, like that felt really nice to me that in some tiny way, like just be, that circumstance helped bring them again, like not because there was any beef, but right. just back together into mm-hmm. in, the, in each other's circle again in a way that I think was really special. Um, and Kobe for me, and I've talked about this, um, I was starting out when Kobe was starting out and it was hard sometimes people just, you know, I'm very short. I'm very girl. I am by all the stuff. Um, and didn't want to talk to me about stuff. Didn't want me around. Didn't take me seriously. You know, all the stuff that's just, it's just harder. It's harder when you're starting. It's hard to get people to trust you. One of the early teams I covered, the coat, the captain of the team and, and the general manager of the team would not answer a single question of mine. They would just say next question. Because they, I was the first woman to cover them. They did not want a woman beat writer, and they thought if they just didn't give me information or access, that I would just fail and not do well. And then shockingly, there'd be a man next time. Mm-hmm. So that that was some of the early stuff you have to deal with, or I had to deal with. And Kobe's rookie year, and you guys know this from knowing him, it was not a picnic. Not at all. You know, there were a lot of people who did not want him there. This kid from high school. We thought he could do everything that we turned out he could do, but at that point, no one mm-hmm. knew for sure he could do. There was a lot of resistance on an older Lakers team. There was stupid stuff, like because Kobe was there and he was under 21, they couldn't have beer in the locker room yeah. anymore. I mean, just like mm-hmm. from the little to the big, you know, and he comes in like a bull in a china shop, so all of that. So we really, that rookie year, um, I came out to L.A. to do a story on him, and it started as an interview, and we just ended up, I remember, like I can tell you exactly where we were sitting on a bench, like you know, after long, and it's like one of those time lapses where like the end of practice ends around you and then everybody slowly leaves and like the lights didn't actually go out, but that's what it mm-hmm. felt like. And just talking and talking about what it felt like to be the kid that nobody wanted there mm. and kind of had that early bond of that and then kind of to watch what he became. And in my tiny, microscopically smaller way, what I got to become was something that that was very special throughout 20 years mm-hmm. of, again, a front row seat to his life yep. and a bomb we had and conversations we'd have and to be able to have had that moment with him and Mac so soon close to the end, it's not enough. It's never right. going to be enough, but it felt like a pretty good thing to have gotten right. in. You and I, I mean, that's when he passed, obviously the coverage we did on mm-hmm. the jump was, was nonstop yeah. and, and wasn't easy, but it was. I just found it was so cool to get everyone's different story of Kobe. You know what I mean? Because everyone had this perception: Mamba, asshole, this, this, <laughs> and that. But if he let you in, mm-hmm. you got to see how special he was. So to be able to hear everyone share their different Kobe story and how he affected them, and realize how many people he affected. Yeah. Obviously, I I didn't want it to happen, and once it did happen, I mean, I guess you know the way you celebrate life was being able to hear all these amazing stories from you know this amazing person. So. That was a tough, 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 tough time. Very tough times. Mm -hmm. Tough journey. And another example to people, by the way, that like you can grow and learn as a person. Mm. Like what you do in your life doesn't have to be the end of your story. You can be a better person afterward. And I think that's something that I would, that you know, talk about messages from 2020. Right. Like no one's story ends. There's no book. There's no period at the end. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously death, but even then, you know, Kobe has lived on since Bigger, then. Right. So you got to keep going and keep getting better every day. Mm-hmm. You had the honor of telling Paul Pierce and That's Chris Bosch 
they were finalists for the uh, NBA Hall of Fame. How was that? That was really fun. We did it first with Mac when he got into oh, the yeah, Hall of right. Fame. Yep. Which was you just, guys actually did a show from the a, Hall of Fame, we right? We did a show from the Hall of Fame when he was right. inducted. But back then, there wasn't like now there's a little bit of a procedure where it's sort of like the finalists announce on this day and this day. And people, even if they don't know what's coming on that day on that show, which Paul Pierce and, and Chris Bosch, we got to tell on the show that day, they had no idea. I had to have this whole plan with Chris's very kind wife who was I was like, can you get him in front of a phone where he can FaceTime? x time but don't tell him why and here's the you know that kind of thing um but with tracy like there was no i mean it was just completely he came in one day and it was he didn't even know he was eligible mm. because they had changed the eligibility rules like within that year about the number of years you had to be off so for him it was just it was totally it was emotional it was mm -hmm. emotional to be in with that a little less so with these guys because they kind of knew it was again not coming on that day but mm. knew it was coming in general it feels so special though I mean, the Hall of Fame, it's the, Hall, man, of the Fame. Hall of Fame. It's it's just sort of that thing and that, that I don't lose that ever. Like what a big deal that is mm -hmm. to guys. Every interview you do yeah. is obviously different. Who is your most memorable and why? Right, I'm going to give you like quick hit list of some ones and okay. why. And I'm being a I'm terrible person. I'm not picking just one, but whatever. All right. Uh, I interviewed Tiger Woods in Turkey in an airplane hangar after he hit golf balls across a bridge in Istanbul that went from one continent to the other. That was weird. Definitely um, oh. something I have oh, never oh, done oh, again. Oh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. I heard that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Right. Airplane you, hanger. You could drop out of 11th grade and still understand that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I can't continent. Okay. 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 And here's a guy who, by the way, who would show up at Orlando Magic Games all the time, oh, the, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And yet, when I was like, hey, I really want to do this interview, we got a bunch of stuff going on in his life, a bunch to talk about. They were like, well, can you fly to Turkey? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay but i live really close to where he lived okay there you go um i got to interview serena williams a bit especially mm. early in her career and having covered tennis at a time when venus and serena came on and then really getting into it and talking to them about everything that they fought through and faced is something that is always going to be super special to me and those are interviews i'm going to always really be so grateful to have gotten to do and mm -hmm. had um in basketball, I grew up thinking Michael Jordan was mm -hmm. Michael fucking Jordan. And the fact that in college, I got to like sit there behind a notebook and he occasionally spoke to me <laughs> when I would be terrified. I didn't talk for like the first three or four practices that we covered and you know how it is. You got this clot of media around you with their little stuff. And I was just trying to not be noticed and, and learn and do. And by like the fourth time, he just like looked at me in the middle of a press comp of people and was like, what, you don't speak? Do you not speak? And I was just like, oh, oh, okay. And then asked my probably ridiculous question mm -hmm. at that point because I was so nervous. So when the first time I got to do like a real formal, this is official sit down with Michael Jordan, wow. I was just, I was like, okay, I'm good. This is good. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So there've been those kind of moments along the right. way where I felt like I've gotten to at least get a little peek about these these people who have done extraordinary things and that feels special to kind of add on to this and this is not a normal quick hitter but like i said you enjoy what you're doing so how cool is it to like how do you keep the fan in you in sometimes when you're getting to meet some of these legends or people I you don't. really look up oh you, you let I it don't. out i, I don't. don't i don't but but that's because i think it's easier because i'm not really a fan as i've discussed the it's like the basketball team i grew up being a fan of Okay, so I would be biased thinking that like George Murison and Manu Bowl were special. Like, I mean, I'm not, 
anyone I am quote biased as a fan of is not it would not bother anyone mm -hmm. <laughs> like I have complete bias about Allen Iverson and anyone who's been around me knows I have no chill yeah. um, I grew up loving Georgetown basketball and everything that man has ever done I don't care you cannot talk to me about <laughs> he is perfect um, as I introduce him on the show all the time he is our greatest living American yeah. um, but I, I think being open about those biases is okay. fine Makes and it then when I'm excited and let the fan out of me it's normally a people who've done cool things mm -hmm. like so i don't i feel it's like okay. It's, it's okay right and it's never stopped me and you guys have both been on the other end of this mm -hmm. i don't think i ask soft questions not like, at all not <laughs> at all been one to ask the easy question you know because i i feel like if i am a fan of what you do and respect you i'm gonna have enough respect for you to think that you don't have this right. bullshit and soft shoe right. around you let's be real mm -hmm. so yeah. Your dream one-on-one -on -one interview, who would it be and I need why? the Steven Jackson life story. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Rachel, you sure you ready for that? How many hours would we have to do? We do like 60 hours. We're going to need some time, Rachel. Right? Yep. Right? That's coming. There's going to be some crying. There's going to be some laughing. There's going to be like, it's gonna be some, what the fuck? How, why did you do that? <laughs> it's going gonna, gonna to be a whole bunch of that. There's going to be a whole bunch of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but don't you think he's like the most interesting person you Oh, man, you know? he's been through so much, especially like his journey and then right? now post-career. Like I said, for us to both be kind of reinventing ourselves for our second act. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I tell him all the time, no, but that'd be a definitely one. Mm -hmm. tell, People tell, would tune in. Tell Jesse's story. <laughs> I will be honored, Rachel. <laughs> if you can relive one sporting event you covered in the past, which one would it be and why? Oh, man. I mean, you know, the emotional part is like, you know, I, the night Kobe had his last game mm. and dropped 60, uh, the Warriors also won, right? They had this Beat the shit out of us. In, yeah, Memphis. We were in, yeah, we didn't get to see Kobe's last game and they smacked us that To night. win 73. Yes. Right? Yeah. So... Sorry to bring up a sore All subject. Good. She um, remembered that. They gave me the choice of being at either game. They were both on our air, by the way. One was on ESPN, mm -hmm. one was on ESPN 2, I think, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just looked, I was like, I'm Kobe. going to the Kobe game. Kobe. And, and I think there was a little, because the Warriors were so the story, and Kobe, yes, he had been on this sort of retirement tour, and there was a little bit less of like, well, we've seen him. We've done all of these waved goodbyes, waved, you know, it's like Derek Jeter. How many times mm -hmm. can you like wave at the crowd? And I was just like, no, I'm going to the Kobe game. Right. And it was as incredible as advertised and i don't need to relive it because it's still fresh and i whatever but i mean how much would you love to see him out right. there one more time yeah, so right. energy Oof. there's a little bit of that yeah. i think i would like to see again five dinner guests <laughs> dead or alive oh man uh well alan iverson clearly um, <laughs> right um i don't know i'm not good at this game i mean i think i think some of the women would be from 200 years ago but who did their shit no matter who was telling them mm. what they had to do, those are largely who would make up my dinner guest list. And, you know, it's still, it's funny. We just had like women's, what are we calling mm -hmm. it? Women's Empowerment Month. Empowerment Month, month yeah. Women's History Month, Women's yeah. Appreciation Month. I know it's how everyone feels about Black History Month right. too. It's just sort of like, oh, we get a month? Thank you so much. Right. What I would like is women not to be paid 80 cents on the dollar, mm, you know, right. across the there country, you go, talk your shit, And by the way, women of color significantly less. Mm. Um, Pop your collar, Rach. So the ones who sort of were able to go through those circumstances. I think those are those who I want at my dinner mm, table. Powerful. And Alan Iverson, because he's Alan Iverson. Sorry, there that's just going to happen. He gets a seat with a mm -hmm. bunch of great women. Mm -hmm. If you can have one guest on All the Smoke, Ooh. who would it be and why? Who do I want you guys to get into it with? Mm -hmm. Man, that's a good one. Um, I mean, you've had everyone, first of all, so 
I'd like you to. I'd like you to get here with Michael with some cigars Ooh. and that whiskey that we saw next to him. What was that? We feel whiskey, bourbon. What What was that brown I don't know, liquor? But but the but he the just, level the yeah. level of this shit kept going, and his eyes were changing colors in right. the process. He was killing it. Right. I yeah. would love to have MJ right? here. I think we'd have to make that like a live show. Yeah. So. Yep. MJ. MJ. Because he's a guy who, again, I covered him while he was playing both in Chicago and DC. And then I remember being in Charlotte for something when he had just started his ownership stint there. And I was sitting in his office and we were just kind of shooting the shit and just sort of talking about old stuff. And of course, like at the end of it, I'm like, Michael, like, why don't you come downstairs and come like be on with us? Like, come be on. And he just looks at me and goes, I don't do that anymore. Mm. He said, because I don't have to. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and there you go. So he really does, he does like right. one cigar aficionado cover like mm-hmm. every X number of years. I right. think he's talked to Wright Thompson in our place once or twice, but he has not done anything like this. I That is what I want to see. That'd yep. be big. Yep. See if we can make it Mike, happen. Mm-hmm. someone send this clip to Mike. There you go. Rachel said. <laughs> Look, Gina Paradiso, who, who she can holds make anything it down happen. for all your guests here. Look at- <laughs> G can make anything happen. Come on, G. That's so, a lot of, hey, G, that's got, a lot of pressure, G. We got, we no got faith in you. <laughs> She's talking to me, so she's <laughs> I got no doubts. I am so grateful to you guys for the time. No, Rachel, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We finally got you here, so thank you. That's a wrap. All the smoke, special guests, Rachel Nichols, thank you for your time. Thank you can you. catch this on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platform, Black Effects. We'll see y'all next week. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Spaniard Archuleta puts his bantamweight title on the line against number one contender Sergio Pettis. Victorious! Bellator MMA, live Friday, May 7th on Showtime, where warriors rule.